0: I'm gonna start off this new year in a little different way because I wanna talk this Sunday about Israel. I'm sure that as most of you are aware that on October the 7th, Israel was viciously attacked by the terrorist group Hamas. And since that time, a whole lot has happened and people have a whole lot of questions. Also among many non-Christian peoples and nations, there is a great misunderstanding regarding Israel's military response. So now that the holiday season is over, and after being asked by some of you to speak on this subject, I would like to address it with you this morning, the first Sunday of the new year. And I believe that the very best place for me to start is uh, to say this that I, as your pastor, as well as our entire church board, we stand fully in support of Israel. In fact, if you will recall, the very morning after the attack on that first Sunday, we opened our service and we prayed for Israel. And I asked you to continue to pray for Israel because that is our only weapon, folks, is prayer. High Point has also sent over $3,500 to Israel to help provide food for the Jews who have been affected by this war. And please allow me to just add this. If for any reason, you as a attender or member of this church think that I haven't spoke on a subject from this pulpit within a certain time frame or in a certain way that it means that I don't care or that I don't support Israel or that I'm oblivious to what's going on, you would be dead wrong. I am very aware of what is going on. I speak on things from this pulpit that I feel led by the Lord to speak upon. And you have to understand that that might not always fall into or satisfy your preference or your timing but it's going to fall in my timing and my preferences. I believe the Lord is leading me. And I can assure you, and I can assure you that when I do speak on it, I will provide you insight regarding current information as well as historic and spiritual truth that is based upon God's written word. And that's what I hope to do today. So as we look at this war, that is raging in Israel, in order to have a better understanding of exactly what's going on, you have to go to the scriptures. And you must begin with the storyline found beginning in Genesis chapter 12. If you wanna go ahead and turn there, you can. I'm gonna be moving fast, but all the scriptures I'm gonna put up will be on the screen and you can follow along. In, In Genesis chapter 12, you will find a man named Abram a man who came from a pagan father and family who God chose, predestined, called, and saved. In Genesis 12, verses one through three, in the English Standard Version, it says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then in Genesis chapter 15 verses one through five, God promises Abram a son, an heir. And it says this, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, your reward, your reward. And number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Then, if you go down to Genesis 15, verses 18 through 20, you'll see that God also promises Abraham or Abram some land. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephiim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Apparently there were a lot of ites living in the world in that day. And then in Genesis chapter 17, verses four through six, God changes Abram's name. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Through these encounters, God not only reveals, but more importantly, he establishes something that theologians refer to as the Abrahamic covenant. And within this covenant, God makes a series of promises to Abraham, and it is a unconditional covenant, which means that since God created it, He will keep it, he will enforce it because it is an unbreakable covenant secured by the promises of God and his sovereignty. Well, this Abrahamic covenant is echoed throughout the scriptures and it has three aspects to it. Remember this, first, there is a destination or an actual land, piece of land. Secondly, there is a promise of many descendants And thirdly, through those descendants would come the promised Messiah. So there is the promise of land, there is the promise of a lineage, and there is a promise of a Lord. Now this land promised to the descendants of Abraham is a piece of real estate that the Bible calls the promised land. And if you look at a map of the world, it is what is now known as the nation of Israel. Now this land is very significant, is a very significant piece of real estate in that it is still in contention to this very day, some 4,000 years later. The lineage promised to Abraham is that he would have a son and through that son would come a great nation, meaning the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. And within that land, and through those people would come the most important part of this covenant, a Lord. All of this was to prophetically pave the way for the coming of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy, and the one true God whose purposes will prevail regardless of what the world thinks. Well, at that precise moment, When God made and spoke this covenant to Abraham, there started a great spiritual war. Why? Because Satan works in complete and total defiance against anything God does. He does everything he can in his limited, and may I add that and emphasize limited capabilities to derail God's plan. I'm gonna say this again, I say it often. People tend to look at Satan and God on an equal plane. Nothing could be further from the truth. You have God and you have Satan who was a created angel who fell from grace. He does not have the same power as God. That's why I say limited capabilities. But whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. Do you understand this? And whenever God is building, Satan tears down. So again, this spiritual war has been going on since the day God made this covenant with Abraham. And please understand, it is always about these three things. It's over the land, that piece of real estate, and who is going to possess it. It's over the Jewish lineage and Satan's efforts to destroy the Jewish people. And it's over who is the Lord. So the Old and the New Testaments speak about this Abrahamic covenant and the promised land because it is so crucial to both political and prophetic history. Now in Genesis chapter 16, Abraham and his wife are struggling to believe in all the promises that God made to them. Specifically, I'm talking about God's promise that Abraham would have a son and would bring him a lineage. And through that seed would come the person of Jesus Christ, the Lord, a blessing to all the nations on the earth. Well, Abraham and Sarah waited many years and that promised lineage uh, had had not yet happened and it seemed like nothing to them, that nothing had changed. They still didn't have a child. Sarah, Sarah was still barren. In addition, they were both elderly. So she is losing faith. And as a result, she devises a plan whereby Abraham would take a second wife, a surrogate, and have a son with that woman. Well, Abraham followed his wife's advice, and he takes a second wife, and her name is Hagar. Hagar is an Egyptian unbeliever, and she bears him a son whose name is Ishmael. And listen to what God prophesied about the future of Ishmael and his descendants found in Genesis 16, verse 12. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. The scriptures make clear that Ishmael will be an unrestrainable and an untamable man but he does go on to have 12 sons, just like the 12 tribes of Israel, interestingly enough. But eventually what happens is God fulfills his prophetic promise to Abraham and Sarah, and they finally have a son, and his name is Isaac. Now Abraham has two wives, two sons, and one covenant. Who will be the blessed lineage? And from which side of the family will come the Lord? Well, this naturally leads to great conflict between both the wives and the sons. But God chooses Isaac, the son of Sarah, over Ishmael, the son of Hagar, to fulfill and to receive this full promise of the Abrahamic covenant. Then after many years, something interesting happens. When God tells Abraham, to sacrifice his only son. And I'm talking here about the son of promise, the son who was born of a miracle, Sarah and Abraham's firstborn son, Isaac. And it happens at a time when Isaac is is growing up and his father is getting older. And Isaac is told to carry wood on his back to a place where they they would build an altar to the Lord. And please understand that this is a prophetic picture of the coming of Jesus Christ, the son of God, who would carry the wood of the cross on his back. And he would willingly lay down his life and be put to death by his own father, his heavenly father. So Isaac lays down his body in surrender and Abraham takes the knife, raises it, is prepared to sacrifice his son. And when you think about this, Abraham must have an incredible amount of trust in God, wouldn't you say? In fact, in Hebrews chapter one, it tells us that Abraham believed that if necessary, God would raise his son from the dead. Well, resurrection was not to be meant for Abraham's son, but for the son of God. Because the scriptures say that an angel of the Lord appeared and stopped Abraham. Now in the Bible, When it says an angel appeared, it's an angel. When the Bible says an angel of the Lord appeared, it is known to be the Lord Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. Genesis 22, verses 11 through 24 tells us this. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt sacrifice or offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided He is basically saying here, you have great faith in God, Abraham. You're willing to give your first and your best on the mountain before the Lord. And what's really interesting about Abraham calling that place the Lord will provide is that God later would provide a temple that would eventually be built in that same region. And the Lord later on would provide his only son, Jesus Christ, who would come to that same region. But Jesus came as the greater Isaac. He carried the wood of the cross upon his back and he laid down his life willingly. He was put to death for the sacrifice of the sins of the world. And all of this would be a result of God's covenant made to Abraham. Well, some 2000 years later, a man named Mohammed claims that he was visited by an angel but Muhammad had received visitation and revelation from a demon. Why do I say this? Because in Galatians 1, it says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. They are to be accursed because they are a demonic counterfeit. It's like I said earlier, everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. So Muhammad is visited by a demon. He is called an angel, but it's a fallen angel, which means it is a demon. And this demon tells Muhammad that he needs to begin prophesying and presenting to the world a new religion. And the very essence of this religion of Islam and the theology that spews forth from Muhammad is that the Hebrew scriptures are a complete and total lie. And that God chose Hagar and not Sarah, and that God chose Ishmael and not Isaac. They actually, he actually takes the story uh, line in Genesis 22 and he says that it was Ishmael who went with Abraham to that mountain, and it was Ishmael who was the firstborn son, the son of promise, and it was Ishmael who was willing to lay down his life. Islam takes the storyline of the Bible and it twists it so that Sarah and Isaac are the ones rejected while Hagar and Ishmael are the ones that are accepted. And as a result, they say that the Abrahamic covenant does not belong to the descendants of Isaac and the Jewish people, but instead to the descendants of Ishmael. And who are the descendants of Ishmael? the Palestinians and the Arab Islamic nations. But they further say that the promised land is their land and that it should be their lineage and that they will worship their God, Allah, and not Jesus Christ. So all along there has been this battle raging over these three things. Who owns the land? From which lineage comes the inheritance of the covenant? And who ultimately is Lord? And you need to know that this this is a profound spiritual battle that has been going on for centuries and it will continue to go on until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And this is not simply a political issue. It is spiritual warfare. It is a spiritual battle. So on October 7th, we witnessed Hamas invading and attacking Israel. Understand this is a continuation of the battle that has been occurring for 4,000 years, going back to the days of Abraham. This attack took place on a Saturday morning, which is the Jews celebrate as the Sabbath. They were also just finishing up a a week-long Jewish holiday and people were off of work. It was one of the most joyous weeks in the year in the life of, of, of a Hebrew or a Jew. It would be like Thanksgiving or Christmas to us here in America. And so what do you do on a holiday like that? You travel, you rest, you get your families together and you celebrate, and I'm also certain they probably weren't paying much attention to their electronic devices and technology like they normally would be doing. And as a result, they were much more vulnerable than just a typical day. And if you have seen or read about any of the footage or or read about the things that occurred, you will see grown men doing all kinds of damnable, unthinkable, despicably demonic kinds of evil to civilians, to women, to children, and to the elderly. And I don't know if you are aware of this enlightening bit of information, but many of the terrorists that day were amped up on a drug called Captagon. It is a synthetic meth type drug that is both Hallucinogenic and addictive, and I know that it had to help to fuel that deadly and inhumane rampage. That's why they took the drugs. I read an article about what they did to one young woman that I wish I hadn't because I'm telling you, I cannot clear it from my mind, and I think about it often and I just I just, I just get sick inside, and I'm not going to give you the details because I don't want you to carry this. But it was so, what they did to this woman was so far beyond the realm of what you would think any human being could do to another human being that the word demonic is the only description that would describe what these terrorists did. And all the while they're shouting Allah Akbar, translated means God is great, but in the way that they speak it makes it very clear that they believe that their God is greater. It's a declaration that the demons working through these people consider themselves greater than the God of Abraham and Isaac and of you and I. But it is not just a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle that is clearly defined in Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. When, when this scripture tells us, what this scripture tells us is when conflict occurs in the scene realm, there is a far greater conflict going on in the unseen realm. And when you hear them say, our God is greater, that's a declaration of spiritual warfare from a demon against the Lord Jesus Christ and against the God of Abraham. Now we know that roughly 1,300 Israelis died from that initial attack, but that doesn't include the hostages who have been taken, whose status is still unclear, nor the soldiers of the IDF who have, been, who have died in battle since. We also know that over 3,000 more were injured on that day alone. And I've heard some people say, well, that's really not too bad, especially when you compare it to Pearl Harbor when about 3,000 Americans died, or on 9-11 when about 2,000 Americans died. So people don't really understand the the national trauma that Israel is going through right now. You see, Israel is a nation of roughly about 8.9 million people, while the United States has a population of roughly about 340 million. So if you do the math, the loss of life on that day, Jewish life on that day, would be equivalent to us having lost 40,000 Americans during 9-11 pretty substantial number, wouldn't you say? Not to mention some of Hamas's brutality was proudly live streamed on the internet. They even sent videos of their atrocities via smartphones to the mothers and the fathers and the families of their victims to increase their trauma and their torment. And because of the nature of these atrocities, Benjamin Netanyahu has declared this to be a war. And now for the first time in 50 years, Israel is at war. The last time Israel was at war was in the Yom Kippur War back in 1973. So this is exactly 50 years plus one day since then. The Yom Kippur War was also started during a Jewish holiday. And now this terrorist attack occurred on another Jewish holiday, the same Jewish holiday. And that's no coincidence because they knew that the civilians would be more vulnerable during an attack, during a holiday than any other time, therefore creating the maximum amount of casualties. But it's also psychological warfare. And I'm not just talking about the gruesome ways in which people were tortured and eventually killed, but I'm also talking about how if attacks take place during your religious holiday, can you see how This could create a negative memory in the minds of the Jewish people. In a very real sense, it is conceivable that because of those negative memories, some Jews may no longer stop to honor and thank God on that holiday because they're traumatized by the memory of what happened that day. And it can easily become a non-holiday for some of them and even now maybe even perceived as an unholy day. That's what I mean by psychological warfare. And so what we have here is the Palestinians on the Gaza Strip, who by the way, are not a people or a nation. Palestinian is a name given to anyone who lives in that area. Most scholars believe that Roman Emperor Herodian changed the provincial name of Judea to Palestine to erase Jewish presence from that area. So these Palestinians who are the descendants of Ishmael, are at war with the Jews who are the descendants of Isaac. And what we're seeing is deeply troubling for all of us, with Israeli airstrikes going into the Gaza Strip against and targeting buildings where we know about two million people live. The Gaza Strip, by landmass, is one of the most densely populated areas on the earth, and these are all human beings here that God created and God loves. And please, men and women of God, I need to say this, don't ever forget that God loves people on both sides of this conflict. We get riled up because we don't wanna see someone hurt Israel, but there are people being hurt on the other side as well by their own people, as well as the bombings that are taking place. These are all people who desperately need Jesus. Well, the population there is about 92% Muslim, about 6% Jewish, and about 2% of Christians. But until Jesus is Lord of them all, they will not be reconciled and there will be no peace. So the answer for this is ultimately that they would all bend their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ so that he can rule over them rather than them trying to rule over each other. So what we're seeing is like any war. It's getting ugly and it's getting brutal. But let me assure you something. Israel's response to go to war as a result of this attack, this attack, makes it a just war. Because this was a terrorist attack. It wasn't a military attack, and furthermore, it wasn't against an army, but against civilians. Therefore, Israel is justified in this war as any other nation would be justified. But what the Hamas terrorist group has created is a no-win situation for Israel. What I mean is if Israel doesn't attack back, they lose because Hamas will just continue to plot against Israel and continue to strike and attack. All the while, by the way, encouraging other Islamic nations and people to do the same thing. The second way that they lose is is now that they have responded with airstrikes, there are global protests and condemnations from other nations. France had to literally call a curfew and shut down their country because there are so many Muslims that are now living in France who were protesting. There were 15,000 on the streets in and around London uh, protesting Hamas, for Hamas. And of course, in major universities, around our own nation, we're seeing students rise up who are pro-Palestinian and pro-Hamas. And many of these American-born college students can't even clearly articulate why they're doing it. They're going along with the crowd. They have been fed, and now they believe in an inaccurate historical record regarding the whole situation of Israel and the Middle East. The problem is that Israel is having to attack civilian targets. Which is leading global outrage that the civilians are being targeted. So let me explain further reasons why Hamas has made this a no-win situation for Israel at the Gaza Strip. You see, Hamas knows that they cannot win an outright battle against Israel. And so they hide their leadership, they hide their operational centers, they hide their munitions through a series of tunnels and bunkers beneath schools in hospitals and mosques. Could there be three more controversial places to hide munitions than those three? Therefore, if you're going to send an airstrike, they have created human shields of civilians. They use their own people for their protection. This is the ultimate expression of cowardice, ladies and gentlemen. Also, just another sign that human life is meaningless and no value to them. And so if Israel doesn't strike, Hamas will slowly destroy them, but if Israel does strike as they have been doing, then the whole world is going to try to destroy them by crying out, injustice, injustice. Now, I'm sorry, i got a lot to cover this morning, so bear with me. If you look at the map, Gaza is surrounded by Israel on the east with a fortified secured wall and the Mediterranean Sea to the west. So there's only one entrance in the north through Israel and only one entrance to the south through Egypt. Israel told the the civilians to flee. They made very clear that they were going to bomb and take out strategic terrorist targets. But the problem is, number one, Hamas is blocking people from traveling to the southern part of that nation so they cannot exit into Egypt. In addition, they are encouraging them to stay there and become martyrs. And this is one more thing that Israel has to deal with. You see, Islam is primarily a religion of death in that the greatest honor is to die as a martyr. They teach that if you do so, you get 72 virgins in heaven, you're celebrated like a cultural icon within your community, and your family is given a generous inheritance. Islam is a religion that glorifies death. And so when they're making the call to die for a cause, they're just being true to their culture of death. The second problem is that Egypt to the south has conveniently closed their border. And now there's nowhere for these people to go, even if they were to get through the roadblocks that Hamas has created to prevent them from getting to that border. Now we know that there are terrorists in Gaza, but we also know that there are some innocent civilians, both Jewish and Arab, as well as Christians that are located there, and they can't leave if they wanted to. So when the international community starts to cry out that this is injustice, it's not a fair cry at all because Egypt needs to open their their roads and their borders. And those who have helped to create this problem need to become a part of the solution. This is a justified war and any nation in their situation would do the exact same thing. Israel has every right to take out strategic targets of their terrorist enemies within their land that are trying to destroy them. It is simple as that. That is Real War 101. I mentioned earlier how Hamas puts women and children in harm's way. Well, that's not just cowardice, but that is pure evil. And I hope to help you understand why. You see, the word Hamas is a Palestinian acronym for the Islamic resistance movement. It is also an Arabic word that means zeal, Z-E-A-L. But did you know that Hamas is also a word in the Hebrew language? And it is used in the original writings of the scriptures. In Hebrew, Hamas means violence, to do wickedness, to do violent evil. In Genesis 611, it says, "'Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. There's that word, Hamas. It says the earth was filled with Hamas, or evil violence, because the world was filled with people who were filled with Hamas, violent evil. When someone is full of something, they are possessed by it. As an example, if you, have the love, you have the love of God in you because you are filled with his spirit, the Holy Spirit. Well, in the same way, People who are filled with Hamas are likewise filled with the spirit, and it is an evil spirit. Hamas is a demonic spirit of violence that was birthed the day that God made his covenant with Abraham, and they are committed to the utter annihilation of God's chosen people, the Jews. Hamas is both antichrist and intentionally driven to attack and destroy the Abrahamic covenant and those to whom it applies to take the land, to hijack that lineage, and to redefine who the Lord is. And please understand something. This Hamas spirit that has been at work since the days of Noah, has been at work since the days of Noah, and what did God do to everyone who had the spirit of Hamas in those days? He flooded the earth. He destroyed them. So the spirit of Hamas that possessed the people of that day caused them to be destroyed by God. Also understand, not only were people filled with the spirit of Hamas in the days of Noah, but they were likewise filled with the spirit of Hamas during the Chaldean Empire, during the Babylonian Empire, during the Shechemite Empire, and during the Egyptian Empire. And make no mistake about it, The spirit of Hamas was alive and well in Nazi Germany when Hitler tried to eradicate the Jewish race during World War II. He didn't succeed. But get this, he was able to exterminate 6 million Jews. When you consider they have 8.9 million now, he almost destroyed them. That's, That's a staggering number. And then people in our culture want to deny that the Holocaust happened. People from Ishmael side. It happened, folks. My point is simple. People will come and go. But one thing you can count on is that the, the, the demonic always remains. And the spirit of Hamas is continually working in and through nations and government and people to bring about the possession of the promised land, the ending of the lineage, and the destruction of the plans of our Lord and Savior. So when you see Hamas being celebrated globally, since it is a demonic and a powerful warrior spirit, please understand what you are seeing is a form of worship and it is spiritual warfare. Having said all that, let me go back to our story. You got a conflict going on between Sarah and Hagar, between Isaac and Ishmael. So Abraham is the father of two sons and there's only one covenant. So which son will inherit the promise of the covenant? Well, in Genesis chapter 21, you see a glimpse of this conflict in the way that Ishmael reacts to his little brother, Isaac. And it happens on a day where there was a feast celebrating Isaac's weaning. Genesis 21, eight through 10 says this, and the child grew and was weaned, talking about Isaac, and Abraham made a great feast on that day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian whom she had borne to Abraham laughing. She's referring to Ishmael. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be the heir with my son Isaac. I am confident that Sarah didn't demand this because of a simple laugh. It was because of a sinister kind of a laugh, mocking what was promised through Isaac. What we see here is the spirit of Hamas from the days of Noah had arrived into Abraham's house through Hagar. And please understand that the Holy Spirit and the spirit of Hamas cannot coexist. That is why Sarah cast Hagar out along with her son. That's what you do with an evil spirit, you cast it out. She could see that the older brother, this wild donkey of a man, who at this point was about 14 years old, was mocking his little two-year-old half-brother. She could see by Ishmael's response that he had no regard for her son or for his safety or for his life whatsoever because the spirit of Hamas has no regard for children. Do you remember in Exodus when Pharaoh decreed for a mass genocide by having every newborn Israeli son thrown into the Nile River. And it happened again when Herod commanded the death of all male Jews two years and younger during the time of Jesus' birth. Well, in both cases, the goal was to destroy the, the descendants of the Abrahamic covenant. And I am certain because both of these decrees came through demonic direction that Satan's goal, his ultimate goal, was to destroy the Jews in an attempt to stop the promised Messiah from ever coming. What's very interesting about Pharaoh's decree is that it shows us that God will not tolerate this because in Joel 3.19, it says this, Egypt shall become a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness for the violence done to the people of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. So please understand that the same Hamas spirit that took the lives of innocent children during the Egyptian empire is right now at work in Israel on the Gaza Strip. This battle is profoundly spiritual, ladies and gentlemen, and it will not be solved through political solutions. And that is why we pray for the peace of Israel. But we should also pray for the well-being of the Palestinians there who are being used as human shields and manipulated by those who have the spirit of Hamas in them. We should also pray for a revival on both sides of this fight, that they would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But make no mistake about it. When you see the descendants of Ishmael doing violence to children, the least among us, it is the same spirit of Hamas that lived in Ishmael and existed in Egypt and beyond. And I think now would be a really good time to explain the difference between Islamic and Christian eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the end times, of the last days. Islam teaches that there will, they will eventually rule the entire earth. And of course, we know there is no separation between church and state in Islamic nations. Their religion is their government and is also the final word in everything. You see, Islam is not a religion of invitation like Christianity. What I mean is that the invitation that you repent of your sins and you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus forces himself on no one. And through his birth and his life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection, he invites us to follow him and to receive salvation. Well, Islam is a religion of imposition. You accept the teachings of Muhammad and the words of the Quran or you die. That's why terrorists will often make the people that they have captured deny Jesus Christ and praise Allah. And if they don't, they sever their heads from their very body. They believe Islam will rule one day and everyone will be ruled by the Quran and by Sharia law. You see, wherever Islam gets a foothold, it becomes a stronghold. And that's what they, why they had to shut down the streets in France. Our laws say you can't act this way. But Muslims in countries all over the world say we don't regard your laws We don't honor your nation. We don't believe in your religion. We don't even tolerate it. We want world domination. This is why, while the rest of the world is concerned about population growth, Muslims keep moving into other nations and are having many children. They're continuing to procreate. They have a long view. They believe that if they procreate enough Muslims into the world, eventually they will rule the world. And so the end game is twofold. First, they will have complete and total domination of the world. And number two, they will rule with an iron fist. The senior Hamas official, Muhammad, excuse me, Mahmud al zahar quotes the prophet Muhammad. God drew the ends of the world to one another for my sake, and I've seen its eastern and western ends. The dominion of my nation would reach those ends that have been drawn near me. But then he goes on in his own words to say this. The entire 510 million square kilometers of planet Earth shall come under a system where there is no injustice, no oppression, no Zionism, no Israel, no nation of Israel, no treacherous Christianity, and their killings and crimes like those being committed against the Palestinians and against the Arabs and all the Arab countries and Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and other countries. Listen, church. This is a war between good and evil, and Hamas is on the wrong side of the fight. And it's all because God made a promise and a covenant with Abraham. And it's a promise that he will never break. And his purposes, you can be rest assured, will prevail. When you get into the prophetic books of the Bible, you can see how the world comes to a close. And it all happens with Israel in a final battle with the nations of the world who are standing against her. And and at that moment, when it appears that all is lost, Jesus will come from the heavens and he will destroy the enemies of God and he will fulfill his promise to Israel. So if you ever wonder why we pray for Israel, this is why. Many of the world are seeking to wipe them from the face of planet earth, but they are our brothers and sisters. They are God's chosen people whose heritage brought forth our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. And I hope that what I've shared with you today will help you to understand what the news won't tell you. They are fighting for their very survival as they have had to do throughout their history. And it started the very minute God made the covenant with Abraham. When Satan went to war to do whatever he could do to stop it. Therefore, you and I as men and women of God who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we need to stand with them and we need to support them with our prayers. And our prayers aren't necessarily because we believe they will be destroyed. They won't because God has made a promise to them. It is an unbreakable covenant. But we do pray for peace and we pray for their safety. And we also pray for the great suffering that they have had to endure and will continue to endure until the Lord comes. And with regard to this Abrahamic covenant and these promises from God, it isn't just for divine protection. It's also for divine blessing. And you can clearly see this throughout their history. Through their many challenges, God has continually blessed the Jews. Here are just a few examples. There have been 900 Nobel prizes awarded throughout the years. 20% of those have gone to Jews. This is way disproportionate when you consider only 0.19% of the population comes from that land. In almost every field Jewish people are excelling from science to art and innovations to technology, genetic engineering, and many other modern advances. This small country with less than one one one-thousandth of the world's population is graded as the eighth most powerful country in the world. Excluding the U.S., Israel has the largest number of startup companies in the world, Israel has the leading number of scientists and technicians in the workforce of 145 per 10,000 people. Israel has an economy that produces $100 billion and it's larger than all of its immediate neighbors combined. How does all this happen? Through the blessings of God and the covenant that God made with Abraham. And this covenant will not go to any other people or any other nation. So with everything that is going on in Israel right now, many will ask, is this the beginning of the end, Pastor David? Well, the truth is I don't know. No one knows. There are a lot of people out there who know eschatology, they know end times, they're very well studied on these scriptures, and they don't know for sure either. Anytime somebody boasts something, it's speculation on their part. But I do believe that we are living in the last days and if this war doesn't push us into the end times, certainly ones that follow will. And so, high point, our job is to be ready. To be ready for the day when Jesus comes to take his church, his bride to heaven and away from all of this. I want to read to you from 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is what I try to do as your pastor, to encourage you and to build you up. And the reason I do this is because I am called upon to equip you. So first that you will stand firm and you will stand strong in your faith in God and his promises but secondly so that you will go out and you will lead others to Jesus oh here comes his rant now he does this all the time this is who I am I've said this before I will talk about this until I die or until you vote me out of here it's as simple as that I was called to Red Bluff to help win this city for Jesus Christ but I can't do this on my own God never intended for me to do it on my own. He gave me a church family so that we could stand united together for this cause. We have the potential to literally change and transform this city for the Lord Jesus Christ, one person at a time. So I need you to know something. When I preach, I'm always going to fall on the side of seeing the lost one to Jesus Christ. And when that happens, that ought to put a smile on your face. You should not say, why is he always talking about salvation? Because that's what we're here for. That's why this church exists. That's why we as believers exist, because we are to share the good news with others. That is my responsibility, to do my part to win this city for Christ, to build up a church full of people who would be active in soul winning within this city. None of what I have discussed this morning matters at all if you aren't in a redemptive relationship with Jesus. Amen. And if you are now that you know how the story ends, your job is to do what you can to make sure that no one in your realm of influence hasn't heard what Jesus has done in you and for you. You need to express that to them with urgency in attempt to see them receive salvation because none of this will make sense until you can begin to view it through your spiritual eyes and through the words of the scripture. And you need to understand that God's master plan that is spelled out within the word of God and how that our sovereign God, our God is a sovereign God and he doesn't need the approval of this world or of nations to make good on his, problem, his promise to Abraham. He made a promise, he will see it through. I cannot control the future. I cannot control God's timeline regarding when he returns. But what I can control is what proceeds from my mouth when I have the privilege of speaking from this pulpit. And that is always going to be the good news of Jesus Christ. And those of you who have been redeemed, you should know by now that you have nothing to fear in all of this. You have received a promise. You too are in a covenant relationship with Jesus. I wanna look at 1 Thessalonians 5 again, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day, down to verse eight. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation, For God has not destined us to wrath. Did you get that? But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You who already know Jesus, please quit fretting over the things and worrying over things that we have absolutely no control over. Before the end of this age, God is going to take us home. So take that nervous energy that you have and tell someone about Jesus. That's what you were called to do. You know, there comes a point when as followers of Jesus, we take in so much information, so much knowledge, so much about the scriptures that we don't put what we've learned into action. And, it will, and, and, and if that happens, that only leads to frustration and ultimately it leads to fear. And I see that fear in a lot of people. My job is to make sure that you are prepared in your heart, that things are right between you and God, but then ultimately that in that preparation, you realize you have a responsibility to help prepare others. That's the reason that you and I and this church exist. And this year, We are going to focus on becoming more intentional in our spiritual growth, while at the same time being more active members within this body of believers. And we plan to do that by hopefully getting all of you engaged into a small group where we will be studying the scriptures. And as Proverbs says, where iron will sharpen iron. You come here to listen to me preach every Sunday morning and I'm very thankful that you do. And believe me when I tell you that I do my very best trying to bring you truth that you can apply to your everyday life. But it's like I've said many times before, if this is all you are getting to make it through the week, it's not enough. You need to be in the word of God yourself. And that's what we want to address this year. And I'll be presenting to you ways in which we can make that happen. But it will require a commitment from you. I don't want to make commitments you Are talking another night of my life, Pastor David? I gotta watch Monday Night Football. (laughs) There comes a point, especially as we live in these last days, where you gotta prioritize what is important to you. And I'm not trying to be a bully pulpit this morning, I'm just speaking truth to you, and hopefully it's coming through in love and a little bit of sarcasm, because I'm just kind of that way. But you have got to make a commitment to go deeper in the Lord, in your personal life. Don't worry about the church as a whole. Worry about you. This is between you and God. You were either going to stay stagnant or you were going to grow, and the choice is your choice. Will you just sit there spinning your wheels or will you make a commitment? Yes, I don't know what it looks like. I'm a little nervous about it. I don't know what it's going to be like to get together with a group of six people or eight people in somebody's house and have a piece of pie and, and, and talk about the word of God. Why should that fear be fearful? I realize for you ex introverts, it's hard. But hopefully your spouse is an extrovert and, and they'll they'll work that out for you. <laughs> iron sharpens iron. All the truth that you get doesn't need to come from me. There are so many other sources out there, but your main source is the word of God. And you need to be in the word of God for you to understand what is coming and where we are heading. And I think I've spelled out for you this morning why we're heading where we're heading. It's been going on forever and it will go on until Jesus returns. You and I need to become purveyors of God's truth and wisdom driven and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to make a difference in other people's lives. And if like me, you are saved, this is no longer just about you and me. Can we all just agree on on that? This, this, This divine story in the Bible isn't about America, folks. I hate to disappoint you. Man, we've got some... Christian Americans that are so caught up in America that sometimes I wonder if America is the God and, and, and God is down here somewhere. That's a dangerous path, folks. We live in a nation that was founded on biblical principles, but we are far from that today. God said, blessed is the nation whose God is Lord. He's not our Lord anymore. He is us, the remnant those who are left but he isn't for a vast majority of those people you know and you work with and are in your family he's not therefore it is our job to open our mouths I don't know what to say well then get in a bible study so you can learn a little bit about the word of God so that you can speak forth and I've told you a thousand times before if you ever put in a position to share your faith with somebody God will give you the words to say don't fear that moment stuff will come out of your mouth you won't even know you had in you You go, man, I sounded pretty intellectual at that moment. That was God speaking through you. Believe me, it wasn't you. What I'm trying to say, High Point, is we need to stay busy doing the Lord's work, leading others to him. We don't have time to be worrying about things that will occur before Jesus returns. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. That's our purpose. That's God's promise. Praise his name. And so after all that, this being the first Sunday of the new year, we're gonna take communion together. like to ask the worship team to come forward and the ushers to come as we distribute the communion emblems you know every part of the bible from old testament to new testament points to jesus and if you have jesus in your life today you have fulfilled the purpose and the reason why you even exist because you're in the most important relationship of all because The God who made the covenant with Abraham so many years ago, he makes a covenant with you. And it is likewise a covenant of blessing. It's the covenant of him as savior and of eternal life in God's presence in a place that our imaginations cannot even conjure up or imagine. And within that covenant is the assurance that no matter what may be going on in our world, or whatever may be going on in the near future or in the future, that we can live in peace. It is a peace that passes all understanding, the scriptures say. It's a peace that provides you and I perspective that the world just cannot grasp or understand because they are blinded to the truth. And all that has come through the arrival of Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross on our behalf. Jesus told us to always remember the sacrifice that he made. That's why we take communion. It's a time of remembrance. It's a time of clarity that we remember what it is that we possess in Christ Jesus. But it's also a time of praise. It's also a time of joy knowing that God is in full control of all that we see and all that we hear, and that his purposes will prevail. Don't ever doubt it. Even as I said in the last, it's gonna come right down to the wire and it's gonna look like everything is lost. And at that moment, Jesus is going to come and fulfill his covenant with Israel. But I also wanted to tell you that it is a privilege to be your pastor. And sometimes I get passionate, and I'm sorry. Sometimes I get frustrated with you just like you get frustrated with me. It goes both ways. We don't have time to waste anymore, folks. My hope and prayer is that this year, even if we finish it, we don't know, will be a year of great change for this body of believers. And that some of you who have been too shy or afraid. would get a blast of the Holy Spirit in you and would give you encouragement to go out and slay giants which you are capable of doing because you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you and you can do all things my prayer is that every week somebody would come to me and say I want to introduce you to my neighbor or my co-worker my whatever so-and-so I led her to the Lord this week. What an amazing thing. Exponentially what could happen to this city if each one of us won one, and each one of them won one. And it just kept going and going. That's the way God intended it. And we've got to be better at it. So when you're out and about, it doesn't have to happen in this building. It can happen anywhere. And as I always say, at at the least, invite them to come to church with you because they're gonna hear it from me if they don't hear it from you. So at least give them an opportunity to hear the truth and allow the Holy Spirit to draw them to Jesus. That's what we need to do. That needs to be our focus. If we do that, we will experience a year in 2024 like we never have before. It'll be one of epic proportions that we will talk about for years to come, but hopefully we'll continue for years to come, should the good Lord tarry. And again, I don't have a cosmic calendar that tells me when that's gonna be. I don't have insider information. I have no more information than you do, but Jesus is coming, and we need to be ready for that. But more importantly, we need to make sure others are ready as well. We're saved, praise God, that's the greatest news let's take that and let's wish it for someone else can we do that amen amen you bow your heads in prayer please father i thank you for this beautiful day you have given us and for me to be able to give clarity on this very difficult subject that's going on in our world but i hope father that i have done you well and that I have shown them why we are where we are today and why these forces are doing what they are doing today. and Give us a greater understanding of why we love and support the people of Israel as our brothers and sisters. But God, I also hope that I have shared light on the fact that we are redeemed by the blood and many of them are not. And many of our friends and families are not. And God, that that would become a priority for us in the new year and also a priority for us to grow this year in our knowledge of the scriptures and we can do that through being a part of the small groups that we are going to develop this spring and roll out and Father my prayer is that everyone would be an active part of that because I know it will make a difference in their lives it will make a difference in the way they feel connected to this body of believers it will make a difference in their week because they will get something on Sunday and they will get something another day of the week to encourage them in their Christian journey So i pray you will make all that happen father as only you can and i ask as we go our separate ways today that your holy spirit would guide and direct our steps the places we go the things we do the conversations that we have and that those conversations would be designed to build people up and not tear them down that we would leave here shining like bright lights in a very dark world father i pray that you would use us to love people even those who are unlovable give us the capacity to go above and beyond what anybody else could because your spirit indwells us and use us this week until we gather together again and until that time I pray that you'll keep my church family safe from accidents that might befall them from illnesses or sicknesses that might put them uh, away for a week or two and bring them back so that we can come together as a church family and worship you in spirit and in truth I thank you for this day I thank you for your word. I thank you for your protection over Israel. And I thank you that we know where we are going when our time is done. We give you all praise, honor, and glory. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here.